Welcome to Face Your Faith with West Kenyon. It is our hope that today's study will encourage you to grow deeply in your relationship with God as we study the Word together. Now let's join West for today's study. Our topic today is judging others, and I have entitled this topic today, Judge and Jury. So why the title Judge and Jury? Well, it is quite fitting because we regularly take up the role as judge and juror when we decide who someone really is according to our very limited understanding or what they are really all about, again, without any substantiating evidence, with which we draw a baseless conclusion about our subject. And that is certainly dishonoring to the person or people and perfectly dishonoring and sinful in the eyes of God. How about this for an opening example? You see someone walk into a room who is covered with tattoos, dirty, ripped, filthy clothes, missing teeth, half the weight they should be, shoeless, and long, greasy, knotted hair. You get the picture. And let's just say the room they walk into is the ballroom of the Ritz-Carlton, smack dab in the middle of your black tie dinner gala. You know, the one with champagne, caviar, and canapes. I believe I can say with 99% certainty that everyone in that room would immediately judge and conclude within seconds that that individual must be removed immediately because they are disgusting, uncouth, vile, and of no use or benefit to anyone. They are the dregs of our society and have no business, no right to even be on the grounds of this place. How absolutely preposterous. After all, this place is for people who have it all together. They have money, are educated, know right from wrong, and would positively never be that, or look like that, or act like that, or associate with that. Now, most of us know quite well that God says we will be judged according to how we judge others, right? Of course, you say. But the example you just gave is comparing apples and oranges. After all, that person could be and is most likely dangerous and wasn't invited, and we wouldn't let anyone in that wasn't invited. It's not just them in that respect. I see, then what do you make of this? My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. It is not the rich who are exploiting you. Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. That passage from James 2, 1 through 12. Once again, some of you will say, I completely agree. 
The less than desirable appearing person that walked into the Ritz-Carlton should just be allowed to stay and be seated at the head table because we should not discriminate. We should not judge. We just let them stay. Others of you will say, but again, you are really stretching this example out entirely too far, and that is not what God means either, because this just has to do with church. Because surely God doesn't expect us to have interlopers intruding in our lives whenever they desire, and after all, we aren't passing judgment by seeing his appearance. After all, that was fact. And these are two sides of the coin, and both have merit and are both in part correct. And so it is, that is why we need to see and to know God's word fully on judging others. Are you aware that we can indeed judge someone honestly and lovingly in the eyes of God? Have we really seen exactly what God intends for us to see in his word on judging? And have we come to a devastating conclusion on the right and wrong way of judging? And all that being said, the best place to start for our answer is to examine God's word carefully and see what God has to say to us about proper and improper judgment of our fellow people. Remember, in the same instance I just gave of someone that is rather disheveled walking into our gala at the Ritz-Carlton, someone who walks in with a tuxedo, who was also uninvited, might not nearly receive the same judgment as the homeless-looking man. Yet the individual in the tuxedo might be more dangerous than the disheveled man. With that, we will start by looking at the ever so popular and misinterpreted passage in Scripture and that of Matthew 7, 1 through 5. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye? when there is a log in your own eye. You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So why did I say this passage is so misrepresented? Because this is the only passage that often gets read and preached on as a singular passage. Ultimately, don't judge or you will be judged the way you do it to others. So stop judging and you won't get bad stuff coming back to you. And we have successfully, I believe, turned this portion of God's Word into nothing more than a Christian karma passage. Now, am I saying this passage is incorrect? Not at all. It is 100% correct, but it is not the entirety of everything God has told us about judging others. It is one piece of the puzzle. So let's get all of our puzzle pieces together so we have a whole picture by the time we conclude here. So let's go back through this passage and examine it carefully. First we see, judge not, that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. All right, that's quite clear. If you judge others, you will be judged just like you judge. But what does that exactly mean? It really doesn't tell us anything about what judgment looks like at all. Let's continue on. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? but do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? Okay, this is getting a bit more personal here with a good word picture by helping us visualize how we get so up in people's faces, so involved in someone else's life and focused on their microscopic issues. 
yet we are absolute train wrecks with so much disaster in our own lives, there's no way we can see clearly enough to legitimately know what is wrong with anyone else. And I love the line that follows when we take that path. You hypocrite. Isn't that exactly what you think after some wreck of a person comes to you and points out all your problems? Isn't it even worse when that wreck of a person comes up to you to inform you of all your deficits and claims to be a Christian? And all the worse yet, when that person carries a religious title like pastor, reverend, elder, counselor, isn't it utterly nauseating, repulsive, disgusting behavior? Yes, that is a true hypocrite. While we're at it, let's take a look at the dictionary definition of hypocrite, and it says, a person who claims or pretends to have certain beliefs about what is right, but who behaves in a way that disagrees with those beliefs. Yes, I am ashamed to admit it, but that's been me far too many times. Well, this is why we are not to get in people's lives in this way. Ask yourself, how many times have you and I been the hypocrite, the wreck, telling others how they need to live in a certain way, or do or not do something. Yes, far too many times for all of us. Now for the really good part. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. What do we see here? We covered the hypocrisy of being a wreck and telling someone else how they need to change, but look very carefully at what we just read, and we are going to take this one piece at a time. It says, first take the log out of your own eye. Let's stop right there. Interesting, very interesting. In other words, we are given an order by God to take the log out. In other words, examine yourself thoroughly for any possible hangups in your life regularly. Look deep within and remove. Don't just recognize issues in your life and ignore them. Remove them from your life. Keep them out of your life. Next, the passage goes on, and the best part, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Aha! Wow! In fact, this might even be the perfect time for Eureka. The apex of our passage. Get rid of your hang-up so that you can properly help someone else to recognize and help them remove their deficiency. Isn't that awesome? We see here that we are clearly called to dig into other people's problems and point them out and help them get the hang-up out of their lives. Have you seen that before in this passage? We have never been told to not get involved. We have been told to get involved but to get involved only when we have our lives in order, which is also a command to do. To expand this further, evidently judging in its abusive sense only comes into play when we are wallowing in our own sin, all while telling someone else how wrong they are while we are living the exact same way and refusing to change it. Because the way we are living it is much less egregious and ultimately okay with God. Again. We can spot people who do this a mile away, and we often hate, yes, hate them, and resent them, and, and, and. So it is very clear that judging has nothing to do with pointing out or seeing an issue or flaw in someone. Absolutely nothing. 
It does, however, have everything to do with how we are living out our lives in conjunction with what we are telling others they should be doing or not doing. Isn't that a relief to know? To know that we can and are indeed called to be involved in others' lives? Just in the proper way, the God-honoring way. Again, it has nothing to do with recognizing what is wrong with and not right with others. Now the question is, can we back this up? Yes, indeed, in Romans 2.3. Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things, and yet you do them yourself? that you will escape the judgment of God. And there is our proof. Judgment has nothing to do with recognizing problems in others, but who I am when I point out someone else's problems. Let's go further and look at Romans 2, 21 through 24. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Again, how profound. What a fantastic explanation of what we are to know and what it looks like to fall into being judgmental. Paul is telling us, if you don't pay attention to and grow from what you are teaching and preaching, you are on a very dangerous path with God. Romans 12.3, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. And continuing with James 3.1, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. With this, then, we see we can judge or recognize things that aren't right in others' lives. So where's our example of proper judgment or proper recognition that God expects of us? 1 John 4.1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. How about that? Doesn't that sound like we are called by God to judge, to make sure we do not fall victim to false prophets? And what do these false prophets look like? Matthew 7:15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. I don't know about you, but I think this is a very reasonable area in which we should judge who we associate with. Again, we are to be very aware, very alert, questioning, and not just accepting blindly that everyone is okay because we aren't supposed to question or judge anyone. It then goes on to tell us very clearly we are not to just blindly accept everyone for who they are because it's wrong to judge or question. And we see this here in the following passage in Matthew 7, 16 through 20. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. 
Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So what do you think of that? You will recognize them by their fruits. That sounds like we are called to look around, see it for what it is, for exactly what it is, for exactly what it does, and know clearly by discernment, judging. In all that, however, I can't be the tree bearing rotten fruit, telling other rotten fruit trees how to bear better fruit, because that is rotten, ungodly judgment, and that stinks. Now the last few pieces of our puzzle, and we will have a great picture of improper and proper judging to frame and hang up in our life to remind us the next time we get involved in someone else's life. And I hope this example will help you recognize when you are judging in a godly or ungodly manner. And it is when we truly go to someone to help them, pointing out the speck in their eye, we need to see first if we are pointing out their issues because we personally don't like what they are doing or because we truly know and deeply care for them and 100% desire to help them see the error of their ways so they can enjoy a closer walk with God. And here is what that looks like. When we judge in an ungodly manner, judging with a log stuck in our own eye, we tell others what is wrong with them all while insinuating by our speech and action that we aren't that way and have it all figured out. On the other hand, when we judge in a godly manner, we never tell others anything. Rather, we come with understanding and encouragement and ask them if they are aware they are living a certain way, and that according to God's Word, not our opinion or legalistic view of God's Word, encouraging them to see that they are not allowing themselves to fully enjoy a closer relationship with God because of their actions. And now for the last piece of the puzzle. Ungodly judging looks like this. You and me with a wooden telephone pole sticking out the front of our face. By the way, the average length of a telephone pole is 46 feet. Just think of the damage you will do even attempting to walk into a room with a 46-foot pole sticking straight out the front of your face. Picture that. Imagine the destruction and devastation you would cause just by attempting to look around that room with that 46-foot pole swinging from side to side as you look for your next victim to judge. With each glance, you would behead and wipe out everyone around you. There would be absolutely carnage by the time you left that area. And isn't that a great image of the effects of improper, ungodly judgment on society? And who is guilty of doing this? Every single person, me, you, past, present, and future, until Christ returns and removes those logs once and for all. Let's pray. Most gracious and merciful Father, please judge us right where we are, right now, and show us in your love and awesome care how we must allow you to get these destructive logs out of our lives. These debilitating weapons that we so wildly swing with pride in other people's faces. Help us to see that we are not exempt from wielding these lethal attacks and leaving absolute destruction along our path no matter who we are or think we are. Help us to see and to offer honorable, loving, and encouraging judgment, 
because it is what you desire of us to do to help others for your namesake. And we ask that you would press hard on each of us to be very aware that we examine our lives daily and learn from every word we utter. And now we ask all of this in the great name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you are joining us by podcast, please visit our website at faceyourfaith.com for more information and resources. Thank you.